morning. Good morning. Be back in First John this morning. First John chapter three. We got down to verse eleven last last week, and uh, that's actually where we're going to start. Uh, I stopped at a really bad, odd place, uh, but considering the text that was coming and the time that we had, and, and that was the best place to stop. So, uh, but First uh, John uh, chapter 3, uh, just to recap a little bit uh, from uh, what we've gone through thus far, uh, uh, the greatest part of uh, the third chapter of First John is the first line in the first verse. Says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, and uh, that's uh, that's my favorite line out of this particular chapter. And it goes on to say that we should be uh, called the sons of God, uh, and that kind of caps really the entire chapter that we're talking about. But uh, we'll pick up once again in. Uh, Verse 11, I know we kind of kind of, sort of covered that last week, but we'll read it again. Uh, so verse 11 in 1 John chapter 3 says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love uh, one another. So this is uh, John, once again, reemphasizing to his audience, to the hearers and readers of this letter uh, that's going out to uh, not just one congregation, but it was a common practice uh, in this time that, that, this, that the letters that would come to the church, just like uh, Paul wrote one letter uh, to the churches in Galatia. And if you read the opening chapter of the book of Galatians, you, you see that it's, it's written to the churches, uh, not just the church in Galatia. Galatia was a region. It wasn't a city. Uh, it was an entire region. So this letter would have went to one particular church, and then they would have either copied it and sent copies out to the other churches in Galatia, or they would have just sent the original letter around for the other churches to have read. So once again, this was a common practice uh, back then for, for this to happen. But he says, this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And uh, it, it is the, uh, uh, the statement and the message from the very beginning, I mean, God gave this commandment in the Old Testament that we were to love the Lord thy God, or actually the Jews were to love the Lord thy God, and they were to love their neighbors themselves, and it was two separate statements in the Old Testament. However, Jesus in the New Testament uh, says, and we, we should be well familiar with it, uh, that uh, the first commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and uh, he says, and the second is likened to it. In other words, it's just like it. Jesus uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't saying one was more important than the other. He was tying the two of them together. If we love God, we will love our neighbor. And that's why Jesus tied those two together when he said, love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, so uh, John says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love uh, one another. And then he goes in, and he, he gives an example in verse 12, but it's a, it's a negative example that he gives. It's not to the positive. If we're truly born again, 
And if we're truly saved, if we're truly Christian, and we truly love God, we know that we should love our neighbor. We know that we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We know that we should love everybody. We should show the love of God to everyone. And I think that John, me personally, I think that John took that into consideration uh, uh, when he gave this example because it's a negative example that he gives. He says in verse 12, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. So he gives a negative example. He gives what it is to not love your brother here, uh, instead of what it is uh, to love your brother. And like I said, uh, uh, when we're born again, and when we... Uh, uh, and, and we're saved, and if we keep our nose in the Word of God, and we listen to true sound preaching and true sound teaching of the Word, we will know that we are to love uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So he says, not as Cain, uh, who was of that wicked one, saying Cain, uh, Cain, Cain didn't love his brother. Cain was of the wicked one. In other words, Abel, Abel is the one that loved his brother. Abel is the one that had a good relationship with God. Abel is the one that brought the sacrifice that God uh, that God accepted over in Genesis chapter 4. And he says, not as Cain. We can't love our brothers as Cain did. We all uh, should be well familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. Cain slew his brother. He killed his own brother. Now, this was talking about a blood brother, yes. But John is using this as a spiritual picture, saying Abel's not the one that did this. Abel's the one that was accepted with God. He's the one that was in relationship with God. And Cain had the exact same opportunity to be in the exact same type of relationship with God that Abel had. Uh, if you're familiar with that account, God, God told Cain, he said, why, why are you so upset? And this is my own words. Why are you upset? Why, why are you acting this way? He says, if, if you bring the right sacrifice, I'll, you'll be accepted with me. That, and I said, that's my words. Uh, saying basically what God was saying there to Cain. But he says, if you do it not, sin lieth at the door. Amen. In other words, if you do what's right, and me personally, and the Bible backs it up in the book of Hebrews, it was the faith that Abel had, it was the faith in God is why his sacrifice was accepted. Had had nothing to do with one coming from the ground and one being of blood or anything like that. The book of Hebrews plainly tells us it was the faith, it was the differences in faith, it was the contrast in faith between Abel's faith and Cain's faith, while one was accepted and while one was not. I've seen all kinds of theological debates over over why Abel's was accepted and why Cain's wasn't. The Bible tells us why it wasn't. It was by faith. By faith, according to the book of Hebrews, uh, that, that Abel made his sacrifice unto God. That tells me that it wasn't by faith that Cain made his sacrifice or brought his sacrifice, brought his offering unto God. So there's no reason to debate it uh, when the Bible plainly tells us what it is. But not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. His own works, Cain's own works, were evil. Why were they evil? The Bible tells us right here in the same verse, because he was of that wicked one. Folks, 
There's, there's good works all around. There's good works by saved people. There's good works by lost people. But the, the motive behind those works is what makes them righteous or what makes them evil. Most times, if an unsaved person does a good work, they throw a hamburger to a, home, to a homeless person or to a hungry person. They might give some clothing. They might even give money. But why are they doing that? They're doing it for their own pat on their back. They're not doing it to glorify God. Amen. We do it as saved people, not to get an attaboy or an attagirl. That's right. Not to do, not to do it that, that man glorifies us. We do it that God might be glorified. Amen. We do it to glorify Jesus Christ. We do it, yes, because it's commanded in Scripture. But a saved individual will do these things. And, that, and that's just two examples as far as clothing the naked and feeding the hungry. There's all kinds of other examples we could go into. But really and truly, when you, when you boil it down, a Christian's life is lived to the glory of God. Amen. Everything that we do. Every step that we take, every word that we speak should be done in a way that magnifies the name of Jesus Christ. And an unsaved person, everything that they do in their life, it, is, it has something to do with them. It's, I mean, I don't know if you all were the same way that I, that I was, but I know I was an extremely selfish individual before I met the Lord Jesus Christ and before he saved my soul. And chances are you were as well. Uh, maybe some of us were more selfish than others. Uh, but when we get saved, who, who are we looking out Not looking out for God, but we're looking to God. But we're loving God and we're looking out for our neighbor. We're loving God and we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. And, and we're living our lives to God. And we're living our lives not to please ourselves and not to please our flesh. Not to please our own desires. We're living our lives to please God. And what pleases God? Doing for our neighbors. Worshiping God and loving our neighbors. That's what pleases God. Amen. I mean, in a very small, confined nutshell, that's what pleases God. We could, we could broaden that out quite a bit, but we won't this morning. But in this, in this example of not loving your brother that John gives here, he says, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. This was the basic reason that Cain slew his brother. He was jealous. He was jealous that God had accepted uh, Abel's sacrifice and not accepted his own because his words were evil and his brothers were righteous. And this is what caused uh, the, the murder of, uh, of Abel over in Genesis chapter 4. Verse 13, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you, that's very cut and dry, black and white, and to the point. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Jesus Christ said it himself in the Gospels, that if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. And I've said it uh, going through 1 John. I believe I said it when I was teaching the book of Jude. Uh, uh, remember, remember this, dear Christian, that when the world hates you, it's not because of you. It's because of Jesus. It's because of whom you're related to. It's because whom you're associated with. You're associated with Jesus Christ. And that'll, that'll keep your pride down, uh, down toward ground level. When you, uh, when you start thinking that people hate you for being you, uh, then your pride can, can be lifted up. And you say, 
Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm suffering for the Lord. Look what I'm suffering for the kingdom of God. It ain't you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus that the world was screaming crucify. It wasn't you. It was Jesus they wanted dead. And now that Jesus has been buried and resurrected and ascended unto the Father and is making intercession for all those that have come to faith and repentance in him, now that he is doing that, they hate those that are associated with Jesus Christ. So don't don't be surprised when the world hates you. That's what John's saying in this very short little verse here. Marvel not, my brethren, that the world hate, hated you. Don't be surprised when that happens. Jesus said that that would happen. You look in the Old Testament. This is not just New Testament. You look in the Old Testament, how they treated the prophets, how they treated the people that came uh, speaking the messages of God. They'd throw them down in pits. You know, the tradition has it that Isaiah was sawn in half. That's not in the Bible, but uh, but tradition has it, uh, Jewish tradition has it that Isaiah was sawn in half, and church tradition has that as well. Uh, they didn't treat the prophets very well. Take the verse that we read just before this. The one that had a righteous relationship with God, he was not treated well by the world by the one that was of that wicked one, by the one whose works were evil. He wasn't treated well by that. So we don't need to be surprised when the world looks down on us and when the world makes fun of us and the world comes against us. Marvel not when that happens. God said it would be that way. Christ said it would be that way. Verse 14, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. This is one of the assurances that we can have uh, of salvation. I, I assume that everybody in here is like me. I'll be honest, I don't feel saved all the time. I know that I am. I know that I am. I have that kind of assurance, but I don't feel that way all the time. Uh, and if you're honest with yourself, you probably don't feel saved all the time either. But praise God, it ain't based on what I feel. It ain't, yeah. it ain't based on... On, on how close I feel to God. Yes, sure, in my Christian walk, sometimes I felt a whole lot closer to God than I do at other times. Uh, and there will be times in the future that I feel like I'm closer to God than what I, what I feel like I am right now. But that's not what my salvation is based on. My salvation is based on the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made when he shed his blood for the remission of my sin and the sin of the entire world. And I believe that for my salvation and I believed only that for my salvation and I repented of my sins. That's what I'm basing my salvation on. Not on how close I feel to God. Yes, I want to feel close to God all the time, but it doesn't happen. And you know what? As long as I'm in this flesh, as long as I'm in this body, it won't be like that all the time. But there's coming a day. There's coming a day I'm promised in Scripture where I'm going to behold the Lamb. Amen. I'm going to behold Him face to face. Lord I'm going to see Him in all of His glory. That's when, that's when I'll feel the closest to God. It won't happen in this flesh. I mean, it's a constant war. We know this from Paul's letter to the Romans. It's a constant war between the, uh, the flesh and the spirit. And that's why sometimes we feel closer to God than we do others. Is because that war is raging in your flesh. It's raging in your body and your mind. Uh, but praise God, like I said, that's, I'm not basing my feelings on salvation. I'm basing uh, one day that I believe on Jesus Christ for my salvation. Amen. God save my soul. 
That's what I'm basing my salvation on. So we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. If you love the brethren, I've said this many times, if you love the brethren, you're naturally going to want to be where the brethren are at. You're going to want fellowship with the brethren. Now, does that mean we have to visit every church around? Does that mean we have to go to every function that every church has? Absolutely not. That's not, not what that means. I mean, if you're involved in a local assembly, you want to be with that local assembly. And, you know, I know and everybody in here knows sometimes things happen uh, that you can't assemble uh, uh, with the brethren. But that doesn't mean that you don't want to. You don't want to assemble with the brethren. If you love, if you love people, I love my wife. I like to be at home with my wife. I like to be with my wife. If, if I never wanted to be with her, could I truly say that I loved her? It would be awfully, awfully hard to do, would it not? So, and I'm not just saying that because she's sitting in here with me. Uh, but if, if you love the brethren, you're going to want to be with the brethren. You're going to want to, you're going to, want to listen to the brethren. You're going to want to help the brethren. But you're going to want to be wherever the brethren are at. And, and folks, Amen. before I was saved, church was the last place I wanted to be. I didn't want to be at church. I didn't want to be around a bunch of Christians. I didn't want to hear about the Bible. I didn't want to hear about God. I didn't want to hear about Jesus or the gospel or any of these other things. Me both, but, since, but since I've been saved, Amen. that's changed. And th that's, that's an assurance that I have that I am indeed saved. I know I've passed from death unto life because I love the brethren. And, and not only that I love the brethren, but, you know, we could take a little side note there, a little marginal note, or put it in parentheses, whatever you want to do. I love the things that the brethren love. Now, some of the brethren love football. I don't. But if they love God, if they love Jesus, if they love the songs of God, if they love the, the hymns, uh, that we sing. They love to hear about the blood. They love to hear about the gospel. They love to hear about forgiveness of sin. They love to hear about salvation. I love to hear about those things, and I like to talk about those things. I don't. I don't necessarily like to talk about the life that I had before in, in a bragging way. But I will tell people, hey, I was a sinner, but God saved my soul. I was a sinner, and, and but while I was uh, yet a sinner, Christ died for Amen. me. Christ died for the ungodly. That was you and that was me. He died for us. Those of us that, that had no desire to have a relationship whatsoever with him, when I said before I was saved, no desire to be in church. No desire to be around God's people. But since I've been saved, ain't no better place to be besides around God's people, talking about God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God grace of God, and the patience of God, the long-suffering of God, all these things. And, and these are the things that the brethren love, and therefore they're the things that I love. And we have a, a like faith. We have something in common that we can talk about. So we know we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. We've gone through the positive part of that verse. But he that loveth not his brother Life and death, and I said last week. Yes, I agree. I agree with the statement that context is everything when you're reading the Bible, and that tenses come in a close second. If you pay attention to the tense of that, he that loveth not his brother 
abideth in death. He that loveth, loveth is present perfect tense, not his brother abideth. Abideth is in present perfect tense. If you don't constantly love your brother, then you're constantly abiding in death, is what that verse is saying in the present perfect tense as it's written in. If you don't constantly love your brother, he that, uh, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now, this is where it gets a little sticky. Because I love the brethren, I just said, if I love the brethren, I want to be where the brethren are at. And that's true. There's some preachers I don't particularly care to listen to. Does that mean that they're not saved? Does that mean they're not called to preach? No. No, that's not the case at all. A lot of it's just personal preference. And... Now, the Bible doesn't speak against me having a personal preference. The Bible speaks against me hating my brother. If they're a true blue brother in Christ, or a true blue sister in Christ, whatever the case is, then I should love them. That doesn't mean that I have to agree with them. It doesn't mean I have to sit and listen to them. It doesn't mean that I can't reach up and turn the radio off if they come on. Uh, it doesn't mean any of those things. And you know what? There's people, I'm sure, out there that say the same thing about me. I love Spencer, but I can't stand to hear the man preach. I love Spencer, but I don't much like his teaching. But I love him as a brother in Christ. And I feel the same way about a lot of people. I've had people, you know, it's gotten back around to me that I should hang up preaching or just stick with teaching. And it's got back to me vice versa. I should stick with preaching and hang up teaching. I don't really care what those people think. I don't really care where that come from. Uh, uh, although I know the sources of a couple of them, it doesn't bother me. And you know what? I don't exclude myself from meetings where I know those people are going to be. If I know there's going to be a revival and I know so-and-so is going to be there, I don't say, well, I just can't go because they're going to be there. There's a lot of Christians, I'm talking about true blue Christians, they'll say, well, if I go, I'll just hinder the spirit. No, you just don't want to go if that's the case. You can't let stuff like that keep you from wanting to assemble with the brethren. You can't uh, uh, let that stuff uh, keep you from that. Uh, who's, uh, verse 15, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. My goodness, is a murderer. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know, uh, you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. No murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. That's a huge statement that John makes there. Now he's not, of course, talking about uh, physically taking someone's life here, although that's the example that he gave a couple of verses before this with Cain and, uh, Cain and Abel and Cain slaying his brother. That's the example that he gives. But he's saying uh, in this verse, he says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. In other words, if you hate your brother, you're no better than what Cain was. That's the context that we're in here. Is Cain, uh, is the, the continued context of Cain and Abel. He says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. You're no better than, uh, than Cain is. You're killing him for uh, many of the same reasons. Cain killed Abel because of jealousy. Cain killed Abel because he was of that wicked one, because his own works were evil and Abel's were righteous. He's saying, If you hate your brother, you, you hate him and you're a murderer, and you're a murderer for the same reasons that Cain was. 
because your own works are evil, because you are of that wicked one. We can't hate our brother. We cannot hate our brother and be a child of God. Uh, you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, back to tenses again. I'll say it again. I hate turning Sunday school into an English lesson, but it's important. It is. If you, if you want to truly understand a verse, you'll take the surrounding context for one, and you'll take all the tenses that are brought up within that verse, and it, and it uh, uh, helps you understand uh, the verses a whole lot better. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, you know that no murderer hath, that word hath, or has, as we would say nowadays, hath is uh, present perfect tense. Uh, no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Abiding is just present tense. So you go from present perfect. No, mur uh, no murderer hath, in other words, continually. Uh, uh, no murderer hath uh, eternal life abiding in him. It doesn't continually have eternal life abiding presently in him. That tells me that doesn't mean they can't be saved. You've gone from present perfect, perpetual, continual, to just present. But that can change. Amen. That can change. And, and not, not just in the spiritual realm that, that John is referring to here, but in the but in the, the spirit or the physical realm is too. God can save someone that's physically murdered another person. God can save a murderer. He can save a drunk. He can save a pillhead. Right. He can save a prostitute. Amen. Praise God. He can, he can save anyone that comes to him in faith and repentance. They don't currently have everlasting life abiding in them. They don't have uh, that life that comes from God abiding in them. But they can. They can. Praise God for it. Amen. Jesus even said in the Gospels, he said, he said the prostitutes and the publicans will come to the kingdom of God, will come to that understanding. They'll, and if you read that in context, they'll appreciate it, and they'll be saved, and they'll be part of the kingdom before the pharisaical and, and the scribe bunch that he was talking to at the time. He said the publicans and the prostitutes Came, they believed John. That's what brought up that whole discussion that Jesus was having there. So they believed John. When John came out of the wilderness, we're talking about John the Baptist, when he came out the wilderness preaching repentance, they believed John. The publicans and the prostitutes did. But the Pharisees wouldn't because they were dependent on their own righteousness. They were dependent on their own works. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Uh, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Hereby perceive we or understand we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Does that mean that, you know, I just automatically give up my life for the, uh, for the, for the brethren? Does that, that mean I go out here and lay down the road and say, I'm going to die for you, so and so? No, that's not what John's getting at. But Jesus said himself in John chapter 15, verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. What does this laying down of life mean? Now, uh, most of the time when we hear someone, he laid down his life. We hear about a soldier, he laid down his life for his country. 
where you hear about a man defending his wife because there was a home invasion and he got killed in the process. He laid down his life for his wife. You know, a, a, a parent saves a child from drowning or uh, goes and pushes their child out of the road but gets run over by a Mack truck. They lay down their life for their child. That's how we normally think about that. But how else can we think about laying down our life for the brethren? Put your own selfish desires to the side and think about your brother. Lay down your life. Lay it to the side. This has the same connotation, the same connotation as Jesus Christ laying his glory aside and coming here to the earth. It didn't make him any less glorious. It didn't make him any less God. It didn't make him any less the Son of God. It didn't make him any less Savior that he did that. But he laid aside his glory and came here and condescended here to be with us a bunch of lowly human beings to tabernacle among his people and come here and lay down his life, lay down his life for his friends. But he laid aside his, his, his robes of, of, not of righteousness. He was still righteous, but his robes of glory. That's the connotation that we're talking about here. Yes, we can lay down our life physically for the brethren. Yes, we can do that. But are we willing to set aside what we want to do? Well, I was planning on going with a picnic for the family, but so-and-so called me and wants me to come over and have prayer with. Well, God forbid we can't put a little delay on a family picnic and go have prayer with a brother in need. That's what I believe John is getting at here more, more so than us physically laying down our lives. <clears throat> Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and showeth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And that's what I was just getting at in that example. Who, whoever sees that, the, that this world has needs, but we shut up our bowels of compassion for him. That doesn't mean that every dime that I make, I have to go give it to the Salvation Army, or I have to just pick somebody at random on the street that's homeless and say, here's my paycheck, go have at it. I see that you're in need. That's not what this is getting at. I mean, look at it this way. We're told here in this very verse of Scripture, and James gets at the very same thing in his book in chapter 2 of the book of James. But, we're told right here, if we see someone has need and we shut up our bowels of compassion toward them, then basically we're no good, really. It says, uh, the, how dwelleth the love of God in him? If we shut up our bowels of compassion. Somebody comes up to me and says, I need a knife. Just out of curiosity, what you need a knife for? This is someone that's in need. They need a knife. I'm tired of this life. I'm going to go off myself. Do I give them the knife? If I don't give them the knife, have I shut my bowels of compassion up towards them? No. They're, taking the, they're going to take that knife and use it to take their own life. No. I'm going to seek help for them. I'm going to ask them if I can pray with them. I'm going to do my best to lead that person to the Lord. I'm going to tell them about the gospel. 
And we'll tell them, yes, this life stinks sometimes. And yes, it gets hard. And yes, we drag our feet and we drag our anchor through the mud. But there's a day coming to God's people, to those whom he has saved, to those whom Jesus Christ has saved with his precious blood. There's a day coming that it won't be like this anymore. And I'm going to tell them about the gospel. I'm going to tell them, hey, you're a sinner, but God loves you. And God sent his son that you can have life and that you can have it more abundantly. But no, I'm going to shut up my bowels of compassion because there's not going to be any compassion there to begin with. I'm not going to give them my knife so they can go off themselves. And right. that is not going against this scripture. Amen. And there's people out there that would actually argue that with you. And say, this person had need and, and you didn't give them what they stood in need of. You went against scripture. You went against the word of God. I think I would have to answer for God for aiding someone in suicide. That's right. But I know that's a dramatic example. Uh, but it's a, it's a good example. It's a, uh, it really opens things up, at least to me. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I can tell you I love you. But if I don't show you I love you, it's a whole different story. I can tell all kinds of people I love them. Yeah. I can tell my wife I love her. But if I go home and I kick her, that's not, that's not very loving. But I try and show her I love her. I try, I, I, I try and act like a husband that loves their wife. I can tell my children that I love them. And my children are grown now, but if I went home every night, beat the fire out of them for no good reason, that's not very loving. That's not showing my children that I love them. Now, there's a difference between correcting a child and just beating a child uh, to be beaten. Uh, but Y'all get my point. Y'all get what I'm saying. Now, <clears throat> my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We've got just a couple more minutes we're going to spend here. In deed and in truth, we show people that we love them. We, show, we, we, we not only say it to people, but we show them. We, and that doesn't mean we have to go out and buy them gifts. A lot of people confuse that. I mean, you take into consideration there's four Greek words that mean love. Four different Greek words. The first, there's three of them that's used in the New Testament. One of them is an eros. You'll never find that in the New Testament in the Greek. That's where we get our word erotic from, eros. And that's exactly what it means. It's talking about a sexual type of love. That word is not used in the New Testament. But stare, that one is used. That's a general love that we have. Philia which is where we get the word Philadelphia, where we get the city named Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's exactly what it's talking about. It's talking about a family type of love. And then you've got agape, which is talking about a love where you would lay down your life for someone. That's the love of God, is agape love. Now, there is a difference between general love and family love. I mean, I love my wife, but I can promise you I don't love my brothers and my mother the same way that I love my wife. And, and my sons, I know that they love me, but they don't love me the same way that they love their wives. My oldest boy, who has my only grandchild, he doesn't love his grandchild the same way that he loves me, but I know that he loves me. There's different types of love brought up in the scriptures. I said there's three of four Greek words that are used, but the most important that we find is agape. That's the, that's the love of God. That's the one 
that John is talking about here, the one that's willing to lay aside our own desires and our own wants, and maybe even our own physical life for the brethren. He says, my little children, love, uh, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's fine to tell people that we love them, and, and we should tell people that we love them. I should tell people that more often than what I do. But what's more important than telling someone you love them is showing someone you love them, showing and proving to them that you love them. And I'm going to stop right there. We've got five minutes for the bell dames. Anybody got any questions or comments? Anything at all? all right. God bless you. I appreciate it.